Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we're talking about a huge topic. Can America be saved from itself? Talking about that today is David Smick. He's the writer and director of a new documentary called Stars and Strife. The executive producer, by the way, is Barry Levinson, the Oscar winner behind Rain Man and Wag the Dog. A root of the problem, David said, is an epidemic of hate in this country that has left us helpless to seek solutions and find compromise. So we're left with a system that is essentially rigged to favor the wealthy, the white, and the connected. Also joining us about halfway through the podcast is a star of the film, Hawk Newsom. He's a Black Lives Matter leader from New York. This documentary can be a tough one to watch as it lays out all of the country's problems that aren't being addressed because of how divided we are. But it isn't a polemic. It is bipartisan in pointing out the problems. And it is an important one to take stock of as we all get ready to vote. And now, here's my conversation about Stars and Strife with David Smick and later, Hawk Newsom. David Smick, from your home in Los Angeles to mine in Oakland, California, welcome to It's All Political. Oh, it's great to be here. So, uh... I, I got to say, I enjoyed the documentary, do a great job of outlining all the, all the challenges America has right now. Uh, and it's, it's, it's almost overwhelming because uh, we forget them, get them all because uh, challenge one right now is, uh, is the coronavirus. But I want to ask you, um, it's, a, it's a very bipartisan uh, a documentary in terms of, uh, you know, assigning blame and such. And uh, one word we don't hear in this is the word Trump or or the word Biden, for that matter. Uh, mm-hmm. But why release this uh, now, weeks before a you know very uh, con- heated uh, contest uh, presidential race? Uh, what what is your? Did you have a particular goal in releasing this now? Yeah, well, I got to tell you, I'm my background and my my career is in finance uh, in New York, and I am uh, not a filmmaker, but I I had. I, I began looking at the political environment and looking at the country as a whole. And I, um, every once in a while I get this urge. And uh, the last time was in uh, you know, 2006 where I said, you know, the banks don't have a clue what's on their balance sheets. There's gonna be a crisis. So I wrote a book called The World is Curved. It was a big bestseller. And, and it came out just as the 2008 crisis hit. So that, it was an instinct there. I have the same instinct about the country right now. We're ignoring all the problems because we are having a, a twin epidemic, not just the coronavirus, but it's an epidemic of hate and, mm-hmm. I, and, and division. And it doesn't mean that we aren't, that, that the country isn't divided ideologically, but we're, we're, it just dawned on me that we are a country that uh, historically has, when we had to, unified to solve problems, and we're not doing that. And uh, there is uh, some sense that there's a, uh, a hate industry that's getting rich and powerful and all the rest, keeping us from coming together. So what I did is I went back, and I, um, having spent, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in Washington, I looked at, I sent emails to a whole variety of different people that I had known over the years, from Leon Panetta and Rahm Emanuel to James Baker, who was um, Reagan's chief of staff, but also Bush's, the first Bush, uh, his uh, secretary of state. And I sent the Greenspan, I, just people I had known, and, and I said, I'm thinking of doing this film. Would you 
uh, you know, initial book, but I said, no, I think it's merits a film. Would you be interested? And uh, every, I mean, 95% said yes. I, uh, Barack Obama said, I'd love to, but I'm doing my own films. <laughs> and uh, George W. Bush said no. Um, but I wanted to, so I wanted to see what they thought about, um, about where the country was going. And I found that there was a lot of, of um, there was actually a lot of consensus that we're, we're running, you're on a tightrope here, and this is, this is a very dangerous time. So then I said, you know, Trump is the master at the mud pit. I mean, he is, he's good in the mud pit. He knows how to yes. throw mud. And Biden ought to be very careful about that. Um, remember Marco Rubio, the darling of the Republican Party? Well, he oh, got into yes. the mud pit, what, four years ago in the mm. Republican primaries. He was talking about hands and all that. And now... Yes, that was a low point see, in American politics, the discussion of, yeah. uh, of, of hand size, you, yes. Well, what do you think of? Little Marco, you know, yeah. that's, he's, like, he's gone. So I, I, I began to think, what is, what's the thing that Trump would dislike the most? And that's to be ignored. And, uh, and just to say, look, we're going to do a film about where we're going after this Trump. Where the, the, where's 70, 80 percent of the country want to go? And, and they basically want to they want to try to compromise when they can. And, and so I looked at issues where I thought that if you could put a bill on the, on the floor of the House and Senate, it passed instantly. And that would be you know, things like, uh, you know, a major infrastructure bill. I mean, they you know, that should have happened years ago and we mm. should be you know protected on on uh, cyber and have uh, you know we should have high speed internet in every household in the country i mean you can just go on and on but these are things that should have been done so anyway i i you know i i remember sitting in uh uh mr uh, obama's secretary of defense uh, leon panetta's office mm -hmm. and i said um, up, up your way, and he and I said, "Well, you know, I'm, I have this thought. Maybe we should just ignore Trump, and we should. The film would be more powerful if we really talked about, you know, where we want to go in in the long run. After all, the, the if if it's we can't compete with cable news, and we can't compete with the internet on covering a political campaign. And you know, and, and Leon Panetta said." Thank God. I'm sick of talking about Trump. This is great. He said, I, I'd love to talk about long-term, you know, future, uh, long-term planning for the country and what's going to, and what's going to be in our interests of our kids and our grandkids. And so that's kind of where we, where we went. I, I sounded out a lot of different people. Now I know that the, I've heard from various sources that the, uh, the Trump people and Fox uh, don't particularly like the film, but I, I think, my goal was to, as our executive producer, Barry Levinson, uh, put it, he said, it, you take no cheap shots. And that broadens your audience potentially, where you get people who say, hmm, you know, uh, I, I'm now stopping for a minute to think about what we want for the country. So that's kind of that was the method to my madness. It, it it is, and it is it does uh, lay, as I said, laid out a lot of uh, our challenges. But but can you know? I, I believe I forget who it was. It may have been you who said this in the film. Where I said someone needs to step in and end the clown show. Yeah. How can that happen? If can the clown show end if Trump's reelected? I mean, it's we have the same sort of uh, uh, 
strife of stars and strife if he's still in the in the uh, White yeah. House. And plus, we have a uh, the House will very likely be in Democratic hands. We don't know what's going to happen with the Senate. Can that still happen? Okay, are, are we going to remain in the mud pit? I think basically, if the House and Senate say the Senate stays Republican uh, and the House Democrat, I think they could do a lot if they wanted to. They could really come together. I mean, they could knock off all kinds of pieces of legislation. The votes are there, and if you just if there's not an election and if it's not Donald Trump's reelection, then I think um, everything. I, I I must admit it'd be a lot easier because Trump's Trump has this kind of zero sum approach to politics, which is basically I'm going to trash the other side. I'm going to trash 50% or 49% of the country, and then hopefully the other 51% supports me. But I think zero-sum politics is to they're toxic, and I think it's not the way. I think the the way the country uh, is designed is designed for um, for uh, for the country at, from time to time to come together to solve problems, and that that involves empathy. And, you know, when people think, oh, empathy is just like feeling good and being nice toward, a, toward others. Well, empathy, there's a woman on our, in our film who's a psychiatrist, Lisa Gold. She's a, kind of the go-to for PBS and NBC on all their, whenever they have a, an issue. But she said, you know, empathy basically means understanding the hopes and fears and dreams of the other side and then seeing if there's something that you can give that's not of that great importance to you, but is to them, and then vice versa. And that's how the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act of, of, of 64 was passed. That's why, you know, I, I give you an example of my, my mentality for this. I asked James Baker, as I mentioned before, to appear in the film, and he said, sure. And, and, and then he said, but what do you want? Why do you want me there? And I said, well, I remember in 1983, uh, social security system was going broke. And um, you, as chief of staff of the White House, brought together two of the most ideological and partisan politicians that ever came to Washington. One was Ronald Reagan and the other was Tip O'Neill. And um, Tip, um, I mean, you know, they were not, they were both Irish, but they were, you know, they were opposite ends. They couldn't agree on much, but they got together and they said, we let the social security system go down because of you know partisan wrangling. I said, we're gonna go down in history as, as complete idiots. And so they got together, compromised and cut the deal. So I said, Jim, I want you to talk about that because I think we have an entire generation that thinks that that's not possible. I asked Rahm Emanuel who did a lot of, cut a lot of deals with like childcare and Medicare and things like that and in the nineties to come and explain that. And and that's and he did. So that that was kind of part of it. And one one of my concerns is that the country's clearly divided. And what you see is what I call the partisan illusion, because what you say is, okay, you, one side tells its 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 uh, soldiers, look, we are going to win it all in November, and we'll sweep, and then we can do anything we want on policy. Well, it never works that way. Look at the last 50 years. The Senate switches back and forth every four to six right. years. We've had 14 presidents, half Republican, half Democrat. These, I mean, it, it, it's inevitable. You think you look, – look at uh, Trump, uh, Obama, Clinton, all came in and controlled both houses of Congress. And within two years, 
they were back to divided government. The only reason George W. Bush didn't lose control of Congress was 9-11. But then four years later, he lost control. So yeah. the point is the public says, well, we're not sure we control, trust either side here that much. And so that's why it's really in the interest of the country, as Leon Panetta says, to once in a while to put to put country before party and solve some of these problems. The, I, that was and, and Panetta. Uh, that's one of his go-to's, and I and I and I, I'm glad that was in this. Um, but one thing that that really we it didn't touch on was um, uh, where the country can't get together is is on facts. And and let's listen something that uh, was said just the other day. Uh, we had uh, Tucker Carlson, top-rated uh, uh, cable news host on mm-hmm. Fox. Right. He said, and, and Rush Limbaugh says, saying very much the same thing. There's a story in the Times about this the other day. He, uh, Tucker Carlson said, in the hands of, the, of Democratic politicians, climate change is like systemic racism in the sky. You can't see it, but rest assured, it's everywhere and it's deadly. And like systemic racism, it's your fault. End quote. Yeah. Now, that's an opinion. It's an idiotic opinion. Uh, yeah. But it points to how we can't even agree on facts in this country. How can we? How can we get together, you know, and 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 sing kumbaya a little bit more, and it, it just get anything done if we can't agree on facts? And I think that's what's happened over the last four years. What is that? I, I think I think you have merit. I mean, how, how can you not look around at just at the? You know, I'm not a scientist, but I just look around and I do say, my God, it seems warmer. It doesn't seem like we've had, you know, these. This many hurricanes. It doesn't yeah. seem like we've, had, you know. Okay, so I looked at it. I, 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 I didn't see uh, Tucker Carlson's uh, bit, but um, look, there is a an industry, and it's it's not in their interest. And both, I think, both sides play the game, but it's not in their interest to have consensus. But you could obviously, I think, you could have consensus on global warming and on a plan. If you, you know, basically put aside this 20% of the country that's feeding off of this stuff and with the last thing in the world they want is compromise. So I do think you've got, you, you've got, I mean, look, the global, global warming, it's very clear that, um, that the first thing that ought to be done is elimination of uh, any dependence on coal. I mean, that's, and and that once we do that, we need to then pressure the Chinese heavily to stop. They're putting in a 1950s coal, you know, style, uh, you know, coal uh, uh, plant. What every week now? I mean, we are, and they don't buy the coal as much from us; they buy it from Australia. But I mean, we can't re- be a leader until we make a, a stop there. But you, you know, it just seems to me there's there are, there's enough. There certainly there's a um, to, to build up renewables. At the same time, you shift temporarily to natural gas so that you can, the, to me, the thing is to bring down your levels that, such that we regain credibility in the world on the issue because the U.S. has to be the leader. And I think we have to make us bring all the Europeans along and, and the Japanese and make a stand because uh, with, with regard to the Chinese to say, look, you've got... We're getting our act together. You know, you can't just you can't just run these um, these uh, coal uh, uh, right. plants. You know, it's a, just it's old, insanity. Yeah. It's insanity. So we'll be back with more of our conversation about stars and strife after this short break. 
And now, here's more of my conversation with David Smick and Hawk Newsom about stars and strife. What about you? You mentioned this, the the uh, the film. You talk about, as you said, you have a background in finance, uh, written bestsellers, and and and, and uh, very well versed in that. And you you talk about the need for more mainstream capitalism. One thing that uh, it wasn't a lot about is the one of the biggest expenses Americans have is on healthcare. Um, sure. And uh, and one of the biggest <laughs> arguments, certainly in the Democratic Party, is should there be a Medicare for all system? Uh, where do you think that that's something that you know coming out of this pandemic that there might be room for agreement on, uh, if not Medicare for all, but maybe a uh, uh, do you sense that there might be an agreement on a universal coverage type of system? Yeah, I don't think that is not Medicare, so based income. Yeah, Biden's backed off of Medicare for all, so that yes. that's kind of left. Yeah, obviously, I I personally think that, and I said this in one of the books. There, I think there's a cartel that's keeping healthcare costs really high and uh, to the point where it's straining the system and it makes it even questionable about whether you have Medicare given that unless we get control. Now, I think Trump, for political reasons, threw out you know, some executive orders, but I think basically both parties, if they came together and said, we have a cartel, it's drug companies, it's hospitals, it's, it's doctors, it's a whole crowd and they all are feeding on this system. And I'm not saying that they're becoming George Soros. They're not becoming billionaires, but they're feeding on a system in which, um, um, you know, that's, that's making the system almost impossible to, uh, to finance. And so the way you break the cartel is you don't have any, you know, both sides stick together. They both say, look, they're going to come after us and they're going to try to buy us off and do all these other things. But if we hang together, we can break the cartel and then um, have a price situation that, yeah, we can make healthcare affordable for everyone. But I think you, we're, to, to talk about solutions without breaking the cartel, to me, is, uh, is fruitless. Uh, I believe Hawk has uh, joined us, uh, Hawk Newsom, uh, from your home in the Bronx. Are you, are you with us? Yes, good morning. Good. Hey, you, Hawk. We have, Hawk, Hawk hey, is hey, a, what's uh, up, David? How you doing? Good to, <laughs> hanging good in to there. hear from you. Yeah. So, um, so Hawk, I wanted to uh, talk to you about, uh, thank you for joining us, by the way, one of the, the most powerful uh, scenes I think in the movie is when you as a um, leader of uh, Black Lives Matter in, um, in New York, uh, take the stage at uh, sort of a, um, what is it? The mother of all rallies, a very sort of MAGA type rally in, in Washington, I believe it was, um, a couple years ago. And it was an amazing scene. I had forgotten that that I forgot. There's so many things have happened since then. I'd forgotten <laughs> about that. Um, and so many things have happened since then. Uh, could that scene happen again? It just seems unimaginable that, um, you know, there, the, the, it seems like uh, on one hand, much more of America is sympathetic to Black Lives Matter. Much more America has become woke, if you will, uh, to to the issues involved there but could that even could that happen again seems like the other side is retrenched more well um i would like to believe that that particular uh instance as as like all others was orchestrated by god himself uh i think that you could put groups of people who are uh diametrically opposed in philosophy and politics and have a cordial conversation 
if it's carefully crafted, if the goal is to really hear each other out and make progress, not as much as to win the other side over to, to your beliefs, but in essence, what you'd have is two groups of people just laying it down, you know? Two groups of people who are just willing to listen to one another and, and once again, not argue that their point is stronger, but just kind of lay down the facts and see and let people bite on to what they can, um, what they can digest, what's palatable. Where do you think that those areas could be uh, in the future uh, where people could come together oh, over, over, over racial issues, uh, over racial issues? If I had to guess, right? I would choose two adjacent communities, one that's um, born black and, and liberal in their views, and another that is poor and white and conservative in their views. But you'd want them to be in the same state, relatively close to each other, and you'd want to bring those two groups of people together. Notice I didn't say bring the politicians together. <laughs> I mm -hmm. said, yeah. bring the people together and just kind of let them, you know, talk it out and, 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 and allow everyone to be disarmed and, and know that they are absolutely there just to hear each other out, not to win a fight or an argument. One of the more, another, one of the more powerful characters in the documentary is uh, Derek Black. He's the former KKK leader. He was uh, <laughs> going to be heir to the throne, if you will, of uh, a <laughs> white nationalist movement. Um, and he had a change of heart. And uh, in the film, it says that people change when their communities change, when they're surrounded by the people, uh, the, the people around them change. How does that happen when we're, you know, when we're so ensconced in where we are, you know, where I hear I live in the heart of uh, liberal America in Oakland, California, where someone else, uh, uh, maybe my uh, my my brother-in-law lives in uh, in Florida and a, in a, in a much more conservative area. What? How can we? How can we do that? You know, what are you? You have a couple uh, sort of uh, seed ideas in the movie, but how can we change our communities or, or mix them up a little bit more? Well, I think you'd have to have David Schmick organize it as he did for this film. No, <laughs> no, no. Which, which, which you'd really have to appreciate about the film was everyone who who was speaking, folks who 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 do not agree on everything at all, were just kind of found finding common ground in a very comfortable setting. Um, if you wanted to bring in people from uh, different geographic locations, then uh, I would say a summit of sorts, right? Where, where people could really sign up and, 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 and buy into this belief that they're going in to find common ground. Now, you might not get the extremists on both sides, but what you would get is the people who are truly concerned about our democracy, who are truly concerned about our country and want progress. I'm, I'm, I'm all about bringing people to the table, you know? You know, uh, I found what, probably the most powerful line in the film, uh, Hawk knows I feel this way, but Hawk says, you know, America beats the crap out of us, yeah, but we still love our country. And I use that in the film prominently, but I also use it in trailers and in a lot of the promotional stuff. Because I think 
the, there is this uh, tendency, particularly on the right, to want to label people. And they want to label a guy like Hawk and his group as, oh, well, they hate America. And I think that's a powerful statement because it undercuts that mentality. Instead, you know, they, they should be on, that, on the other side saying, let, let me hear your story. Let me hear about your fears and your, your dreams. But they're not. They're, it's all, uh, well, you must hate the country and you must want to destroy uh, democracy. And I think, um, I mean, if you, if you said to me, what's, what is the thing you're most proud of about the movie? It's that line. And it's that line that shoves it back and says, no, 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 no. As maybe some leaders are getting powerful talking that way. But the av- average people in an average folk, as Hawk tells me, in his, in his movement, they want a better country. They don't want to tear the country. They Absolutely. Want, they, but I think he also, and I don't want to speak for <laughs> too much for you, but the, he also says, you know how Trump's always talking fake news. Well, he doesn't want fake reforms. You know, he doesn't want window dressing where you kind of play nice, you know, with reforms, but they don't really mean anything. And I think you know, that's a very credible position to say, we want to come together, but I think, you, Paul, you said it, we want to come together, but we want to do it in a real way. Not, nothing fake. Let's do it in a real way. Yeah. One, and the, the end of the film is, uh, you know, there's some hopeful notes about people believing in the resilience of America. Uh, most of the people believing in the resilience of America. Both of you do, uh, Hawk, for reasons you, you stated, and uh, and uh, David, you do too. Um, one, but one thing that uh, I, I noticed that the people who uh, said that they believe in the resilience of America are mostly white guys who did pretty well in America. Um, do you think that, that, that everybody can have that same sort of uh, optimism about about? America's ability to change. I, I, I just sense that, the, you know, we look at the wrong track numbers of the country, there's, they're, they're spiking. Can we, how can we all sort of believe in the resilience of America, especially at this point, which is a, is a lower point? Well, I believe that, um, we have made progress, um, on let's take racial issues because it's me talking, right? Um, we have made progress. Right. But here in America, when we want to figure something out, we do it. Right. And it is my core belief. Once we truly are really dedicated in 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 eradicating racism, right? Eradicated poverty, then we can do it. Um, this is by far the greatest country in the world. Uh, if I were doing what, I, I, what, what I'm attempting to do, which is revolutionize this country, and I, I, I would probably be killed or I'd be locked away forever, which right. happens here in America, but it would have happened a lot sooner, right? But um, when we say revolution, we're talking about the revolution that happens in the mind, right? Which is what our brother Gil Scott said. Uh, it's the revolution of our thinking. When, when we start to believe that we can make this country fair and equitable for all people. Like, we're we smart enough, we're strong enough. I mean, we're the best country in the world. 
and what we put our minds to, we, we achieve. I'm uh, an optimist. I believe that the worst times are behind us, but to reflect on what David was saying, uh, for Black lives to matter in a liberal state, then it'll take more than just signing Black Lives Matter, painting it on the street. It'll take real legislative mm-hmm. reform, right? And an impediment to our progress is all the lies and all mm-hmm. the divisiveness. We have uh, enough research, we have enough evidence to prove the systemic racism exists, but you still have you know, these politicians and these talking heads who are refuting that. So we, we really have to remove the, ox- the obstacles and, and replace them with truly uh, progressive people. And I don't mean progressive in the political sense, but I mean people who are truly about progress, people who are truly about healing this country and saving the planet. I also think that, you know, one reason that I'm cautiously optimistic about the future is that, you know, we're a capitalist country and we have seen capitalism, particularly in the last 15 to 20 years, take a very ruthless turn. And it's really not the way capitalism was intended. It wasn't intended to be uh, get yours and nobody gets any, and nobody else gets anything. Um, I looked at and try to, without becoming too wonky in the film, look at, um, you know, what exactly is frustrating about our, our economy today, which I call a corporate capitalist economy or a Wall Street economy. And I began to look at two developments. Um, one was, of course, the financial crisis of 2008, which basically, uh, you know, um, it, it left the economy a lot more rigid. And give you an example, four banks, four Wall Street banks now control, as a result of the crisis, 75% of bank assets. All the community banks, the little banks, a lot of them have vanished. So you look at this and you say, you know, capitalism has become a lot more top down than bottom up. Then I began looking at another historic event, the fall of the Berlin Wall and, and the rise of globalization, which began in, uh, in the early 1990s. And you say, well, why does that have anything to do with whether you know, America's gonna survive as, as a country? Well, it does. Because what happened as a result of globalization, and there are a lot of, you know, I won't go into the technical reasons, but we saw really low interest rates. And low interest rates are great for stocks. Ha- only half the country owns stocks. So for the last 30 years, you've had a stock market bonanza, but only for half the country. As a result of globalization, also, if you're a wage earner, you have had flat to negative wages. I mean, the facts are pretty clear. So we're sitting around wondering why the country was tearing itself apart, because half the country's had a party and the other half hasn't. Now, it boggles my mind why um, both parties didn't come together and say, look, how do we get the entire country in a position of riding the great financial wave? But they didn't. Cory Booker proposed baby bonds. I wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal saying, I think we should give every child at birth $10,000 loan payable in 60 years to, to invest in the stock index fund so they can, they can experience the same miracle of financial compounding that Warren Buffett Right. That's how that was part of the film. Right. Right. Yeah. But neither party was interested in this. 
they, they, it's not, it's like, well, you know, you couldn't get any interest anywhere. And it's kind of sad. And, and you say, okay, so now we're going to play the, oh, you know, one wants, one party is just wants to admire the bull market and the other party and some of them won't say, hey, how do we bring the bull market to its knees? I would like to say, look, we need to understand what this, what globalization has done. It's a paradox. Some good things, but a lot of things that have created division. And I think if you add that to a financial crisis that left the economy rigid, and why is that, or, or, or less flexible? And the reason that's important is that you know, we talk about income inequality, which is really a crisis. But to me, just as big a crisis is something called opportunity inequality. Right. You cover that in the, in the film where it's where it, people today don't have the same level of opportunity to move up the ladder as they did in the previous generation. Quick plug for the movie here. A lot of these things are uh, that David's talking about are told very quickly through graphics and animation. And it's really it's it's a it's a fun watch. It's a fun watch to watch about how how. <laughs> horrible things are in America sometimes. But thank you both so much for being here. David Smick, Hawk Newsom. The movie is called Stars and Strife. I think it's it's something that everyone should watch before casting a ballot this year. It will make you a smarter, more informed voter. And, and can, uh, I say, it's, can I say yeah, one ahead. thing? It's Please. Stars, stars and S-T-R-I-F-E. And it will premiere on the Stars Network on September 21st. So it'll be, that's, it's going to be a big uh, premiere. Uh, it's coming up. You can find this on Amazon prime on YouTube. It's, it's all over the place. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time and thanks for being on. It's all political. Thanks for having us. Great. Thanks Joe. Okay. Thanks. I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank David and Hawk for joining me today. I'd like to thank Taya Francesca Price for producing today's episode. Here's a shout out to our fabulous theme music, by the way, which is Cattle Call, written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. And remember, no matter whether you think America is dying or can bounce back, it's all political. <laughs>